This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. Guess what, y'all? We've moved. Yeah, for those of you who were paying attention, you may have noticed our website changed. You can now find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com. We're still going to be holding your favorite comics to the curb and kicking their teeth out of their head on a weekly basis, just at a better web address. Such a dork. Whatever. Now let's get down and make a crazy two-headed sound. My name is Matt Baum. I write about and appraise comics for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska, and artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. This week, you'll hear reviews of The Mission Number 1 and Crossed Psychopath Number 1. Ugh. We'll look ahead to some of next week's comics and introduce a new segment we're calling Required Reading until Joe comes up with something better. Lame name. But before we get to all that, we've actually got some bad news this week. The comics world lost a creative powerhouse this week when Dwayne McDuffie died of complications during surgery. McDuffie has worked at Marvel, Archie, DC, and Harvey Comics, writing and creating several titles like Damage Control, the DC Milestone Line, Justice League America, Firestorm, and Fantastic Four. McDuffie was also the main creative force behind many of DC's animated series and features, including Static Shock, Justice League Unlimited, and most recently All-Star Superman. Joe and I thought we'd share some thoughts on McDuffie and his body of work as a way to say thank you and goodbye. I actually had a chance to meet Dwayne McDuffie once. The first comic book convention I ever went to was PlanetCon in Kansas City. And that was before you and I started to work together. I went down with a couple of friends. And I had already been shopping at our former place of employment and saw our buddy Big Mike and Bob. And I walked around and there was Dwayne McDuffie. And I was a huge fan of Damage Control. This is approximately what year? Oh, I don't know. 2000? Okay. About 10 years ago. Yeah. So I... There was Dwayne McDuffie. I was a big Damage Control fan, and I went up and talked to him. And I had read some static comics, like the original run, and I enjoyed them. And so I thought it would be fun to, you know, find a couple of Damage Control comics in a quarter bin and get his autograph. And so I went up and I talked to him, and he was super nice. And at the time, they had launched the Static Shock cartoon, and there was a comic book tie-in by the original creative team. So, like, John J. Muth, or John Paul Leon, one of those guys, I forget who. I think it was John Paul Leon. Yeah. Came back and did the art, and Dwayne McDuffie was writing it, but it was more closely tied, I think, to the cartoon. And he had some issues there. And when we were done talking, I may have mentioned, I may have exaggerated my love of Static, and I said, oh, and he says, well, I have, you know, the current issue, and I'm selling it if you want it. And I very politely tried to decline by saying, oh, you know what? I already have that one. So you lied. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I was not reading the new Static comic. I didn't love it that much. I, I wasn't watching the cartoon, and I just wasn't interested in the, the Static revamp. And so I said, you know what? I already have this one. And he looks at me and he says, oh, yeah? This one doesn't come out until next Wednesday. <laughs> he had advanced copies that he was selling at the convention uh, like three or four days before the release date. And I don't, I blacked out or something because everything else is a blur. But Dwayne McDuffie... Shut your mouth and slowly backed away <laughs> without breaking eye contact. Yeah, so Dwayne McDuffie caught me in a lie. I was trying to spare his feelings. And that is my hilarious Dwayne McDuffie story. 
I wasn't a huge fan of a lot of McDuffie's comics. I did enjoy his Fantastic Four. I thought that was pretty well yeah, written. Yeah, it was fun. But I will say, I think some of the best stuff that he did was DC's animated line. Absolutely. Like, really revamped the animated line. The Justice League Unlimited was an incredible mm-hmm. cartoon. Yeah, he was one of the head writers for the Bruce Timm yeah. uh, Justice League franchise. The really, really good stuff, mm-hmm. which I think might be on Netflix Instant Watch right now. If you haven't seen it, you guys should check it's it out. It's so good. Excellent stuff. I mean, and I think we take for granted how good this stuff is because, I mean, really, can you name, I don't know, one Marvel cartoon that you really feel like you need to watch ever uh, again? Not really, no. Honestly? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, and there's a handful of DC ones that are really fantastic. Sure. I haven't seen All-Star <clears throat> Superman yet, but I've heard really good things. Yeah, I don't know. But I, he his work on those properties has probably done more to help bring people into comics like, through exposure than absolutely than almost anybody else because I can't count the number of kids that came in b- because of the Justice League com- uh, cartoon, right? Or even the New Teen um, Titans cartoon that they're yeah. doing. And you know his work is fantastic on on that stuff. Uh, All Star Superman looks great. Uh, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, I right. think, was the last one that, that was he actually wrote. Fantastic, and he his uh, the episodes that he wrote for the actual series Justice League Unlimited. If I see any of those episodes on cable, I'll stop what I'm doing and watch them. Oh yeah, I mean I've seen them a dozen times, and I will watch them anytime. Yeah, they really are fantastic, yeah, super and I hope high quality. I really hope DC can maintain that quality with whoever comes in next. But Dwayne McDuffie, you will be missed. Thanks yeah. for everything you've given us. In somewhat happier news, uh, word just came down from Seth Meyers' Twitter account. Which is our official news source. That's right. (laughs) Move over, CNN. (laughs) Brian Michael Bendis' Powers series just got the green light from FX. It's finally getting uh, at least a pilot episode. Which is so cool. I can't think of a better place to do it outside of HBO, which I don't want to pay for, so don't do it there. Yeah, no, FX I think is perfect. Yeah, really. I mean, they've got so many other great series running right now. Really original, interesting stuff. Justified. Oh, Justified. That new. (laughs) series that's coming up with uh, Elijah Wood where he's suicidal and his girlfriend buys him a dog named Wilfred but he actually sees a British guy in a dog costume. (laughs) I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, it looks fantastic and I think Powers can slide right in here. You bet. Really fun cop super drama, you know, should be great stuff. And they can cuss. Because they're on on basic cable. They could cuss a little bit. A little bit. Which, if you've read Powers, it's filthy. I highly recommend reading it, but it is filthy. Have you watched that show about the boxer? Lights Lights Out. Out. You know, I've got them all recorded. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, neither have I. But I do love that actor. Cole Meany? No, Cole Meany was Chief O'Brien on Star Trek. Cole Meany. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. He's He's from Omaha. I should know this guy's name. Why? Because he's from Omaha. I don't know. There's I know, a million people. In I know this Nick town. Nolte's name. He's from Omaha. That's it for the news this week. If you've got some stories you'd like to discuss, hit us up on our Facebook page where we're starting a new question of the week. This week's question We're three issues deep in the latest X crossover event, Age of X. Are you on board? Do you even care? Joe and I will be reviewing the entire crossover when all is said and done in a very special episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. A very special episode. In the meantime, go to our Facebook page and discuss. We want to know what you guys think. It's review time again. Matt, I hate you so much for what you have done to me. When you suggested this one, I had to wonder what terrifying secret lies in your childhood that would make you want to read such a hideous piece of work. I hate you, Dad. Um, 
for the record, my friend Joe Patrick is a cuddly, woodly baby and can't handle horror or gore of any time. And me, I'm an inhuman monster. That's why this week I chose for us to review Crossed Psychopath, number one. So this is the third Crossed series from Avatar. This one by David Lapham, who also wrote Crossed Family Values. A virus has spread across the world, as far as I know, causing people to basically go insane. A, a, A red rash in the shape of a cross appears on their face and basically activates... All their evil feelings in their brain. So it like removes their inhibitions. Yeah, and all inhibitions. Amps up their depravity. And they go completely insane, tearing each other apart, sexual rampages. This is absolutely a mature reader's book. Okay, I, I can't say that strong enough. To read this, comic. this is a mature reader's book, and I had to be really careful in writing this review because we're also hosting a clean podcast. That said. This uh, is written by David Lapham, art by Rallo Caceres, and again, I apologize because each week we butcher somebody's last name. It's like our signature. (laughs) With color by Digicore Studios. Now, it's easy to dismiss movies like Hostel and Saw as torture porn and just laugh at the whole genre as ridiculous gore fests where directors show us images for the sole sake of disturbing us. And for the most part, that's probably true. The same goes for a comic like Crossed Psychopath. The cover I picked up featured kids being pushed down a playground slide into a wood chipper by smiling parents. Now, nothing like this actually happens in the book. I went into this one with the same mindset that I would have going to see a Saw movie. Full disclosure here, I'm a horror guy. I love a good gore fest, but I need a good movie to go along with all the death and dismemberment. So I loaded up some good doom metal for my soundtrack, a little bit of Shrine Builder, a little bit of War Horse, and I dove right into the bloody razor-wire-filled kiddie pool that is the Crossed Universe. And I gotta say... I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> having, you are a I know. Having never read Cross before, I, what I got was not a laughable gore fest like Hostel or Saw 2 through 6, but more of a psychological nightmare mixed with ridiculous sex and gore, like a David Cronenberg meets a Takashi Miike film, perhaps. Is there gratuitous sex and violence in some of the most offensive illustrations I've ever come across in my 30-odd years of reading comics? Yes. There's also a very effective story here that is building off the world Garth Ennis set up in his initial Cross series. This story is dealing with an uninfected character that is arguably scarier than the Crossed victims themselves. Uh, The character is Harold, and this story is set up when a group of survivors or uninfected stumble across... Harold laying in this crevasse injured. He has a broken leg. As we read the book, we begin to see that the, it's being told from Harold's point of view. And as he's telling the story, he's having these sex-fueled, violent, nightmarish fantasies that Lapham uses to show us how conflicted this character is in dealing with his own survival. We don't know if he's telling the truth, if he's actually killed before, or if he's just going insane. And the survivors come and help him because they're good-natured survivors. <laughs> And he's actually a lot more dangerous. Well, it seems that he's going to be a lot more dangerous than anything that they're dealing with. All we do know is that Harold is injured and he's currently fighting his own mania because he needs this group to survive. Lapham's dialogue is is really solid here, and his story is streamlined and very effective. Like I said, I came into this cold, and Lapham did a great job setting up the world, which is overrun by the cross, and the survivors, who, for the most part, are scared and likable. Harold, however, appears to be a monster of the BTK killer school of psychotics. There's a couple of really great panels where Harold is telling the story of how he ended up in the crevasse, and he's staring at one of the female survivor's lips, thinking how beautiful she is. Suddenly, he goes into this awful sadistic fantasy 
and just as quickly pulls himself right back to reality. And like, is it gratuitous and offensive? Without a doubt, yes. But there's a reason why this book is for mature readers. In the two pages that Lapham and Caceres, the artist, have established one of the most terrifying characters I've read about in the pages of a comic book. And I don't remember the last time a comic bothered me on this level. And I would argue that makes it high-quality psychological horror and very effective. Definitely not for everyone, but very effective. Lapham has come up with a great twist in what I would have guessed was a pretty one-note story. Now, do I want my wife to pick up this comic to see what I've been reading? No, but then again, <laughs> I didn't watch Human Centipede with her either. So, Caseri's oh. art is very reminiscent of Steve Bissett and R. Crumb sort of meets Hieronymus Bosch. The book has a very underground comic feel to it that I like. He's got very heavy-looking figures and almost this etched look to some of his backgrounds and shading. Now, like I said, Caceres is rough, but his rough art style works here. His gore is good, but not necessarily masterful, like fellow Avatar artist Juan Jose Rip, who drew No Hero. The, uh, the way he draws Harold is really effective in making him look disturbed. And the other survivors mistake his looks, an odd kind of staring from him suffering from exposure, but both Lapham and Caceres do a great job establishing that Harold is the psychopath that they are mentioning in the title. And every time you see him, he looks horrifying. Like, even scarier than the Crossed, who are tearing each other apart and raping each other. And so (laughs) there's some really great coloring here, too. And I can't imagine it's easy to color an artist like this. If you look at most popular artists working today, everyone works with very clean lines for computer coloring, and you have the flatteners who come in and lay a flat background. That's a little shout-out to one of our friends we know is a flattener, or flatter, sorry. But uh, like I said, most popular artists are working with very clean lines and heavy blacks. Caceres actually shades his characters, which is really a lost art, and there's some great crosshatch and line shading that you just don't see in comics anymore. Now, I think I know where Joe is going to go with this one. Oh, do you? Because like I said, yes, there is some horrifying stuff that we see in this book. But I would argue every horrifying image that we see leads you somewhere in this story. It is part of a (laughs) well-told story. And honestly, Uh I'm reading this book of buy it. I'm going to read the rest of this series. I'm so sorry for you. (laughs) Uh, I... I have a completely different opinion. I I am I am not new to this comic. Like I've been around when it's come in. I've flipped through it before. I'm familiar with the premise. I've seen enough to know that it is not for me. I do agree that the survivors side of the story, them finding Harold and uh the kind of window into his mind and his madness, that stuff is good. My problem with a book this book is the gratuity. Gratuity, by definition, is unnecessary. No, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't necessarily feel it was unnecessary. And quite honestly, I got to give props to Avatar, not for the gratuitous sex of violence, but for not being afraid to show us anything. Because how many times have you read any comic where we introduce a new bad guy that is bad because he's bad, or he was robbing a bank, or he wants to take over the world? Harold is a full-on psychopath. Like, terrifying, plucked-out-of-the-headline psychopath. Sure. And his fantasies should be gratuitous. And they should be horrifying. And they are. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you the, the Herald part. My problem with this book is 
the cross themselves. It feels to me, and I will fully admit that I am... A crybaby. Okay. Of the First Order. Fine. I do admit that the story is good. I I am intrigued by the survivors and uh, their meeting with this crazy person that they don't know is probably going to murder them all. (laughs) Um, But the gratuity, I don't need it. It feels forced, just like they're trying to show you how terrible they can be. And what makes a what makes like The Walking Dead scary is that you don't need to see it. They don't need to show you zombies with body parts in their mouths every single sure. issue. It's what you don't see that makes it scary. Yeah, it's just it's not for me. I it feels uh, it feels gratuitous and uh, extreme just for the sake of being extreme. I give this book a leave it. I don't I don't need it. All right, that's a buy it from me and a leave it from Joe on. I th- Crossed psychopath. Unprecedented. Yeah, we disagree. So, Joe, what did you pick for us to read this week? Was it a Disney book or an Archie book? (laughs) SpongeBob SquarePants (laughs) from... No, just kidding. Uh, My pick was The Mission Number 1 from Image Comics. This book was written by John and Eric Hober with art by Werther Del Edera. And this book features Paul Haskell. And he has a pretty decent life. Though he does have some on-the-job stress, he has a loving family at home and just received a clean bill of health from his doctor. Though when he is charged with a mission by the enigmatic Gabriel, might be a holy mission, I don't know, Paul dismisses it as like the ramblings of a crackpot. And of course you would, because it sounds crazy. Even though he knew his name. Knew his name. Creepy. Yeah, well, you know. However, uh, ignoring Gabriel's request comes at a terrible price as Paul's life quickly spirals out of control. So, when I was reading this issue, I couldn't help but feel a sense of familiarity, uh, like I'd seen this sort of story before. Uh, The whole... City of Angels. With Nicolas Cage. It was so good. I cried like a baby. I love that soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, the whole, like, recruited for a task, then life crumbles when the task is refused... That idea just seems like well-worn territory. I can't pinpoint a specific example, but I just feel like I've seen that sort of thing Is before. it like every darkness, witchblade story? Maybe, where it's like, <laughs> like, no, this curse has been you, passed down to my family. Well, it's more like, you have to do this thing. And then the main character's like, what? That's nuts. And then when he refuses, his life turns to crap. I just feel like I've seen it before. But the creative team does a great job showing Paul's kind of descent as he gets... Closer and closer to doing the terrible deed that is being asked of him. And when he summons up the resolve to refuse once and for all, that is when the Hobers and Deletera pull the rug out. Yeah. And I was hooked. Yeah, really great ending. Really good last page. And uh, I, I did have a weird moment trying to figure out, like, once Paul decided not to go through with it, why did he end up in that room? It's never really clearly established. Well, I, he maybe I thought I kind of thought he was like a lawyer or something or worked in the. Court. I thought that too, but uh, if you look earlier in the book, he calls in sick. He calls in sick, and he's following this guy around. Well, maybe that was the day before. I think it's the same day. The dude's wearing like the same outfit and everything. Huh? Yeah. Anyway, it wasn't quite clear the timing of it, and I didn't know why he was there. It doesn't really matter. That's a small thing, but like I said, that final moment, I was like, oh, well, okay. Now I'm on board, and I want to know what happens next. The art by Del Edera is really very nice. Yeah, very uh, Michael Avon Omi. Um, well, it ran, reminded me more of uh, Paul Azateca. Yeah, I who, can see that. Uh, most recently, did some Amazing Spider-Man with Mark Wade. No way, we said that one right either. No, that's right. Is it? Yeah, Azateca. Yeah, I looked stuff up. All right. The art isn't flashy, and it doesn't need to be. 
Uh, it just does a great job of telling the story simply. Uh, it's got kind of a sketchy quality to it that seems very minimal. But if you look at it, there really is a lot of detail in every page. Yeah, it felt very real. Yeah. Kind of slice of life. Uh, every panel has a background for the most part. You know, it's it's sketchy and simple without being sparse. Everything's there. All the information you need is there. Uh, the artist does a great job setting the scene, setting the mood. Very well done. Really warm colors too. Yeah, I enjoyed. Very the, nice I enjoy job. the color palette. I didn't mention the colorist. Normally, I do. <laughs> Ariana Florian, great job. There we go. Uh, the cover art and certain lines of dialogue imply that there is a supernatural element. Like if you look at the cover, yeah, the guy's definitely Gabriel's an got angel. angel wings, and his name is Gabriel. Yeah, I know that, and that's what I. Is he an angel? Isn't he? I. It's not clear yet, but I am interested in seeing Paul like unravel this mystery, especially now that he has seen what happens when he does not do what he's told by this weirdo. Yeah, and I'm intrigued. I give this book a buy it. Yeah, I agree. I give this one a buy it too. This is another strong series or limited series from Image here. And uh, they've been doing a really good job with concepts, with coming up with really good concepts. And yeah. this feels like a fun concept. This is one I'm going to stick around for. I give it a buy it as well. That's a double buy it for the mission number one from Image Comics. From Shocking. Shocking. This is crazy, right? <laughs> we never agree. Now let's take a look at the comics we're excited about for the week of Wednesday, March 2nd. Joe. Who, me? That's you. My pick of the week is... Your name is Joe. (laughs) Uh, Joe the Barbarian, number eight. Finally. The final issue of the Grant Morrison and uh, Sean Murphy? I was going to look that up, but I forgot. I think it's Sean Murphy. Uh, the miniseries about the diabetic yeah, Sean kid Murphy. Yeah. that is uh, fantasizing this mystery world or this fantasy world in his mind because he's about to slip into a diabetic coma. Right. Uh, the and Transformer, GI Joe, Star Trek, Batman crossover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all he needs to do is get to the freaking kitchen where he can get a Pepsi or something. Yeah. Uh, I loved this comic, and it was killing me. the The pace of the releases was just killing me. Next week sees the final issue. Super excited. Joe the Barbarian. This is one that I want to sit down and read. It's so know, good. Cover to cover to cover. And yeah. I'll probably wait for the trade to do it. I read the first two issues and went, okay, this is great, but I need the whole thing. Yeah, you, you got to read it all in one sitting. Uh, this is Grant Morrison telling a much more straightforward story uh, than he might sometimes be known for. <laughs> uh, and the art by Sean Murphy. Uh, Gorgeous. It's, it's worth it just for the art. I mean, I, yeah. w- I don't normally say that, but it's it's stunning. Uh, and, yeah, I can't wait to read it. Matt, what do you got? Next week, I am excited for Annihilator. Yes! One of four. Awesome! I know. I I can't stop harping on the Marvel Cosmic stuff that Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning do, because it is so, so good. Yes. And I really miss Guardians of the Galaxy. I really miss Nova. Oh, so I'm clinging to this one, not just because of them. I love me some Beta Ray Bill. You and your space horses. Love him. Horse-headed alien Thor. Can't get enough of it. Looking forward to Annihilators number one of four next week. Me too. Normally at this time, I'd be poking Joe Patrick with a stick and making him answer your comic questions for treats, but instead, we've decided the last episode of each month we're going to host a new segment called Required Reading. The idea hit us when listeners started emailing and asking what they should be reading. So basically, you let us know what you're into, and we'll give you suggestions for what to read. Uh, This month's Required Reading question comes from Todd in Portland. Portland, Matt! Exotic Portland, Oregon. We have listeners in Portland! 
Todd writes, I'm caught up on almost all of my comics that I used to read, Swamp Thing, Hellblazer, Cerebus, and I need some advice on new ones. Basically, I have two titles I'm reading regularly, Hellblazer and Morning Glories, and I'd like to get my monthly stack up to four or five any suggestions? Well, Todd, based on your love of Hellblazer and Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, I'm going to guess that you kind of like the psychological, psychedelic romp into the mind. So I'm going to suggest Mike Carey. You're and- a weirdo, Todd. <laughs> Mike Carey and Peter Gross's The Unwritten. The Unwritten's a current running Vertigo series about a character named Tommy Taylor. Basically, Tommy Taylor is sort of a real life Harry Potter. His dad wrote a series of books about this magical kid named Tommy Taylor. And the real Tommy Taylor is sort of a failed writer, failed actor. He's living off of trading on his father's name. Going to Comic Con and getting paid to just sign his name. He's a faux celebrity, basically, trading on his dad's name and his dad's books. And during one Q&A at a Comic-Con, a reporter stands up and starts asking him questions about his past, about his childhood. By the way, your birth certificate's fake. Yeah, questions that... Who are you for real? He can't (laughs) seem to answer. His memories are really jumbled. He actually has no birth certificate. And the more he looks into himself, the more he finds that he may be a fictional character that sprung to life. Yeah. And so he's investigating his own identity by... Jump literally jumping into his father's books to find out who this Tommy Taylor character is. The art is gorgeous. The story is really deep and really thick, yeah. literary and fun. I, I highly suggest this book. And Hellblazer and uh, Swamp Thing and Cerebus, those are all like long-running titles uh, with long runs by single single creative teams. I think Service is still technically the longest running limited series. Yeah, <laughs> 300 issue <laughs> yeah, limited 300 series. 300 issue limited series. I think you'd love Fables uh, from Bill Willingham and Mark Buckingham. Absolutely. Another Vertigo book. Uh, it's been running for, gosh, I think we're nearing the 10 year mark. Yeah. Fables is one of my favorite ongoing series. Uh, it features the basic premise is all the fairy tale characters that you remember from stories, Mother Goose, that sort of thing. They're real. They're and they're they have actual filthy mouths. <laughs> yes, they do. And the idea behind fables is that an unknown adversary is rampaging through their respective kingdoms and conquering their homelands. Like push them out of fable world. Yeah, into the real world. And the fables have no choice but to vacate their kingdoms. To our world. And they set up uh, a home in like a square block area of New York City that they call Fable Town. It's got all sorts of weird spells protecting it from outsiders. There's also the farm upstate. Yeah, the, the human-looking fables like Snow White, the, the characters that can pass for Cinderella. regular, they live in New York City. The non-human fables, you're talking flowers. Yeah, talking pigs. You're giant bears. <laughs> you're dragons. They are forced to live in a segregated community called The Farm, out in the middle of nowhere. The early stages of the book deal with them trying to discover who the adversary is, how to stop him from conquering their new home, and trying to take back what's theirs. And it is so good. This book is so good that they actually wrapped up that the the main premise of the entire book got wrapped up about 50 issues ago. (laughs) And it's still going strong. 
Whereas most books would have ended, this book just barrels on and Bill Willingham is like bursting with stories. Yeah, and all the characters, it's so great because they take all the characters from these real fables and they've already got, we already know who these characters are. We know who Snow White is. We know who Cinderella is. Yeah. And he takes those characters from the stories and And forces their storyline, like their personality into reality, like how they would actually act. Right. And it's just ridiculous and it's fun and they're just, they're horrible people. They barely get along. <laughs> and the <laughs> twists that some of them, that he takes with some characters, like, I won't spoil anything because you don't find this out early on. But, like, for example, Cinderella runs the shoe store, haha, get it, called the Glass Slipper. But what is really going on with the Cinderella character is such a genius idea. Yeah, it really is. And, it, you know, he just takes these characters, turns them on their heads. And lets them loose in modern day New York City, and it's a wonderful book. Yeah, highly recommend Fables. Yep. And I have one quick addition for required reading Terry Moore's Echo. It's got, you know, conspiracy, sci fi, uh, a little bit of romance. It's got super Amazonian sexy robot ladies. <laughs> she's not a robot, but she's covered in crazy liquid metal. Echo is great, and uh, that is another like long form story. It's not going to be as long as, say, Fables or Preacher or Swamp Thing. But it would keep Todd busy for a while. But, yeah, they're almost to issue 30. It's going to end really soon, and it's going to be a nice chunk of comics when all is said and done by Echo. It's great. So there's some stuff for you to try out, Todd. Make sure and uh, shoot us a message and let us know what you think of our suggestions. That brings us to the end of another action-packed roller coaster thrill ride with the two-headed nerd. Woo. If you love us as much as we love us, please <laughs> subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we're serious, folks. For every star rating review you guys give us, we're handing out bitchin' high fives. However, yes. if you need us to come out of state to deliver said high five, the shipping is going to be ridiculous. If you need more two-headed nerd, you have an ask nerd question, or you need some required reading suggestions, post it on our Facebook page where you can become a fan and check out the show notes as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at TwoHeadedNerd. Or send an email to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. You can follow my comic speculator blog where I write about comics new and old at WorthPoint.com and follow me on Twitter at Matt Baumstein. And find the updates to my webcomic at GoodPlusOnline.com. Follow us on Twitter at GoodPlusOnline. And follow me personally at JoePatrick116. So until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. Dolce Vidania. <laughs> <laughs>